Welcome to Confessions of a Melanated Queen, a podcast designed to celebrate achievements within black culture. Here's your host, Dr. Lauren Meeks. Hey, family. Welcome back to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. I just want to take a moment and thank everyone who came out to support me this weekend at my book signing. Shout out to Sister Dora Muhammad at Rosebud's Reflections on 79th Street in Chicago, Illinois. You have been such a gem. Thank you so much for being a gracious host this weekend. And again, thank you everyone that came out to support, that came out to get their book, that came out to get their book signed, and just to just give me a hug. You guys know I love having good fun and good laughs, and we did just that this weekend. Now, our next guest. So when I sat down and wrote Confessions of a Melanated Queen, I was a little nervous because I touched on controversial topics such as black women and their role in the black feminist movement, colorism, marriage for millennials, and the struggles of raising a black boy in America. Around that time my book was released, I came across another author who was speaking my language, but louder and to be quite frank, bolder. And I couldn't wait to read his book. So today's guest is Devario the Great, author of Fate of the Black Family, Volume 1. Devario is young, courageous, and highly intelligent. The Fate of the Black Family is over 600 pages of content that addresses all aspects of the foundation of the Black Family construct. Our brother Devario covers every topic that impacts our ability to progress, such as leadership, the Black church, Black women in education, single mothers, and the state of affairs among Black males and so much more. I look forward to reading Fate of the Black Family, Volume 2, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Please welcome Devario the Great. Welcome. We have my good brother, Devario the Great, in the house. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you, I'm such a big fan of your book. It is a pretty heavy document. It's 600 plus pages of pure, just just dope information about our people, our struggle, and a lot of the foundational issues that, you know, a lot of folks don't want to talk about. And so it's right up my alley. And I had to have you on the show. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Yeah. So in your words, tell me about you, the work you do, and what inspired you to write this book. Well, I'm currently an entrepreneur, a self-published author. Um, pretty much just now getting out of the whole employment field. I was a factory worker for pretty much a large majority of my employee career. But as a black man, I feel like entrepreneurship, especially, is one of those areas that we don't really pursue in the black community. It's, some, it's something that I'm passionate about. So I've more so been trying to build my own brand and my own business. And so what led you to actually put the thoughts to paper to publish the book and want to share this information with our families out there? Well, one of the major things is that whenever you go outside, you can kind of see the climate in the general community and just a lot of problems that need to be addressed, but nobody really wants to address them. So I felt like I'd be the person to do it. All right. So some of the topics that you cover in the book, um, you start off with talking about leadership, you know, the lack of unity. We talk, you talk about the black church. I got a whole chapter in my book about the black church. So I'm loving this. <laughs> you address, you know, 
um, what's going on in Flint. You know, you talked about, you definitely spent a lot of time addressing, you know, the, the state of affairs with black women as well as black men and how we together or even separately raise our children, some of the barriers that we have in place. And so, I mean, you, we, what is it about 50 something odd chapters in this book? Some of them are really short. Some of them are longer. You know, how did you decide on the topics to cover? And, and did, were, were they, did you strategize what to cover? Did you kind of think about, okay, well, this it needs to go in this order. I know I'm not reading the book in order. I don't know why. Maybe because you put that disclaimer in the beginning, like you don't have to necessarily read it from beginning to end, but I'm picking it up in areas that I think resonate with me for that particular week or that moment. How did you decide to, to put everything in order? Well, I would view a lot of the previous work that other black scholars and intellectuals have put out. And pretty much it's all regurgitated for the most part. You'll hear people address slavery, oppression, but it's always general. Like it's typically never a solution, which is actually centered around tangible things that everyone in the community can actually get behind. It's more so a really vague response to an an even more vague issue. Oh, well, slavery is the problem and we got to fight back. But no one ever tells you how to fight back. So. That's more so what my series, Fate of the Black Family, is meant to do. So before we started recording, I was sharing with you how some of these topics really resonate with me because I addressed some of them in my book, but I didn't have nearly the courage and bravery that you had to address it in the way that you did. You know, I was really trying, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, this is my confession for the week. I was really trying not to scare people away with this first, you know, go around and I figure, you know, maybe later on I warm them up a little bit, then I hit them with the real. But, you know, it's becoming more and more difficult for me because as I watch the climate, I look at some of the posts that's happening on social media, the debates that we having, the very, you know, um, just kind of useless conversations about things that really don't apply to our people and do not involve solutions. I'm becoming more and more at times, even as a researcher, as a scholar, discouraged, you know, from addressing certain things. Yeah. What share with me how how you push past that or or do you struggle with that as well? I really never struggled with it because even since I was a younger kid, my whole philosophy has been more centered around say what you have to say, whoever likes you does, and whoever doesn't, you can't really spend so much time worrying about them because at the end of the day, regardless of what you say or how you say it, there's always going to be someone who doesn't agree. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So as it relates to, you start off talking about, you know, you're working in a factory and now you have tapped into being an entrepreneur and you're building on that. Um, I know you have a chapter where you, several times throughout your book, you address it, but you you really have um, made a point to bring to to the reader's attention the importance of teaching your kids to not fear their dreams, but to build their own. Um, Share with me where where that influence really came from. Was there a particular experience that you have? Have you just witnessed it in other people? I know personally, I lost a job that I thought I was going to retire from. And that's what led to everything I'm doing now. Um, so if, if you could just share with me your thoughts on it and, and why, why that is such a, a cornerstone of your work. Uh, more so just because of, you know, partially personal experience, like being an entrepreneur. Everyone in the Black community claims to stand behind you. Everyone claims that entrepreneurship is something that should be pursued. But once they see someone who's really doing it, you get the same glazed over looks, the looks of disinterest. 
And you always get those few saying, well, just stick to your day job. Just keep working for this man. Gather your 401k. Hopefully you can retire with enough to send your kids through the same process. And it just wasn't for me. Yeah. So what what type of feedback have you gotten so far from the book, you know, on all topics? I know that you probably had, I know for a fact that you've received some, some backlash because you've addressed it on social media. I think at one point you had, you had opened up like the invitation for people to debate you. So what, what was that experience like? Surprisingly, most of my feedback has actually been good. I've only had a small minority who actually have a problem with the book itself. Cause I've had that negative feedback on social media as a whole, but when I actually released the book, you know, it's like the whole, you know, the perception shifted. People started to get why I said what I said. Now, do you think it's because that this is a, a question I have really because of I've, I've watched so many people who are willing to put up the, they'll, they'll record the YouTube videos, they'll get online and they'll make little short little minute videos about this and that and they'll talk, but rarely do they actually do the work you've actually taken time, you've done a research and, and I know for a fact that much of what you're saying, even from personal experience, it's very real, very relevant and there's data out there to support it. Do you think that that's why maybe the shift has changed because they see now, okay, he's not just talking, he's, he's, he's done the work or is it something else? I, I do believe that is a large part of it because the book does provide, you know, data sources and it's not just someone talking for a minute about something they feel or something they've experienced. But I think it's also just greater context because black people have gotten so used to the five-minute video or the 30-second Instagram clip that context is rarely ever provided, so we just take the title and run with it. But once you have a 600-page document explaining to you why the problem is such a, you know, such a big deal, it's hard to refute. Mm -hmm. Well, so lately there has been, you know, some some talk about comments that have been made by a famous pastor and you know everybody's talking about it and I and I definitely I don't agree with a lot of stuff that people are upset about but the reality is is that you know that that really made me want to bring my husband on the show because for one a lot of folks have been asking me they're curious you know they know I'm married they don't have a family don't have a son I talk about them all the time I mention them in my book and they want to hear from him and he's like you know I'm not really interested in coming on and saying what I know I, that needs to be said because nobody wants to hear it. It reminded me of a section in your book where you, you were addressing black women, uh, those of us who are educated, and you were sharing how oftentimes women get to a certain point in their age, status, and they're, they're saying they're looking for everything that they ran away from when they were younger. So the nerd, the kid who they didn't want to be around because they were looking for the thug at the time or whoever, now they want that person, that person is not so readily available because they didn't move on to either another race or they just recognize that, you know, you're not the one because you had an opportunity with me when we were 17, 18 years old and you said I was a nerd. So now that you're 35, you're looking for it. I've moved on. What, what, yep. So with that observation that you've had, because you're absolutely, I agree with you because I have a black son and we've had conversations about how we're worried about him, even as a, he's a little guy now, but we see the good spirit in him. We see the excellence in him. We see that he wants to learn. He's, we see that he has a good heart. And we're afraid that he won't have a black woman to share his life with because that happens. Thankfully, I had a mother who told me when I was young, the nerd that you see today would be, is the husband that you're going to want in the future. So I had a mother, a black woman, to tell me to, to really, you know, kind of educate me on what's going on. But a lot of these sisters out here don't have that. 
Can you talk about that a little bit and how, how you were able to observe that, pick up on that? What was it like for you? Yeah, it's more so an observation you can make. Pretty much anyone who's in the field of education, whether it be a man or a woman, black man or woman, you see the dynamic play out in each gender. So say you have, you know, a black guy, he's in college, younger guy, he doesn't really have too much money. Uh, you know, he doesn't really have too much time to go along with because, you know, he's studying, he has exams, tests, so on and so forth. Usually the black girl in his demographic doesn't want him because at that young age, she wants to have fun. She wants to go out to the party. She wants to go to the club. She wants to ride in a nice car. But the thing is, the college guy, even though he is pursuing status, typically doesn't have the money at the time needed to fund her interests. So she goes to the man it does, which is typically the thug or the drug dealer. And it's not necessarily solely because he is a thug or he is a drug dealer. More so, he has the money needed to fund her ambition, whether that ambition be she wants to start her business and the broke college guy can't, but the thug can. So it's more so, a lot of times it's just a lack of resource. Whereas on the female end, the black female end, you know, you see that these younger women uh, specifically, they pursue status, they pursue a degree, but they lack time. You know, you have to work a longer shift. You have to spend a lot of time studying. And what that does is turn men off because at the end of the day, a woman who was that involved in the workforce at the end of the day had to sacrifice a certain amount of involvement with your own children or with your own spouse. So it becomes a problem on both ends. And so as foundationally, do you think that that has been what has happened in terms of a shift? I know I've argued that, and, and I think there's plenty of data out there to prove it though. But I mean, even when I, I address the 1960s and 70s social worker, you know, the experiences that you look at the movie Claudine and, you know, you, you can see how, you know, kids were trained when the social worker comes down the street, you know, they had to clean everything up that looks new and pretty and shiny because you can't look like you're doing well when you're receiving public assistance. So the government became the new man for the black woman. And for those, I mean, that's, I know I'm kind of jumping though, but it goes back to what you're saying. And then for those women who grew up with the concept that, okay, we may not need the black man anymore to provide, they go to school, they become independent. And then it'd be, it, it, there, there's like a, um, a wedge that's drawn between man and woman. So do you, do you believe that this has been something that has been happening throughout time? I'm just reaching back to like 40, 50 years now, but just in terms of, uh, last couple of hundred years has there been an ongoing systematic approach to separate us yes i do believe there has uh, you know in past times you did have the man in the house rule to where you know of course the black man was systematically removed from the home and he was replaced with the economy of the state and uh, you know they checked to see if the man was actually present within the household and if he was of course you'd be taken off of government assistance you did have the risk of being put in prison so on and so forth Present day, the man in the house rule, even though it isn't in effect, you, you still feel, you know, certain aspects of the consequence within today's black household, where you do have not necessarily a lack of presence of the black man, but more so the black man in a relationship. And by that, I mean, black men, for the most part, are actually involved with their sons and, and their daughters to an extent that, you know, no one wants to cover the statistics, you know, they'll pretty much tell you how how involved black men really are, but single mother, you know, the single mother rate is more so an issue because yeah, black men are involved with their children, but in the same breath, 
they aren't in relationships or stable relationships with the mothers of those children. So mm-hmm. you have fragmented involvement. Right. Well, it's funny that you say that because it's it's interesting. Now, one of the things that I know that you, you mentioned a lot in your book is, you know, the art of propaganda. And it's, you know, we, we are conditioned to believe that black men are performing, doing far worse than what they really are, that they're um, just the image of them. Of course, as it's depicted, it's not very positive. When I was working on my doctorate, I, I you know, I sought out because I have a son and he encouraged me with some of the experiences he was having in school, even at three years old, to go through school again myself and do some research on the topic of black males in education. Well, so I had in my mind, because I worked for a college at the time, that, you know, black men are, are just academically, they're falling behind. And I really believe that. Now, don't get me wrong, compared to other ethnicities, they are, but not nearly as bad as we thought. And so when I went to start my research, I couldn't find a lot of data to support you know, the theory that I already had in my head. And so I thought that one of the, you, you, you had commented and you, you mentioned this in your writing that, you know, oftentimes we are led to believe that black men just are not, they're, they're not in the homes, they're not supporting their children, they're not, they don't complete school, just everything about them is just so horrible. And it's, and it's really not that serious. And I, and I could just say, I just want to, in support of what you're saying, I found that to be true. So even through my dissertation, I struggled to put that together. Because, you know, I, I had in my mind, it was, it, was a, it was still a bad problem. And it really is not compared to maybe how it was 20, 30 years ago. Black men are doing exceptionally well. It's just that nobody talks about them. You know, the focus has been on black women and their success or the single moms. But, you know, there are a lot of brothers out there doing great things. And so I just wanted to mention that to you. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, too. A lot of people tend to misconstrue certain facts about black men as if they only apply to black men. And one good example of that would actually be college involvement or just general educational involvement. Uh, you know, statistics will show that black women pretty much pursue college at higher rates than black men. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of black women and black men alike have done is flip that into a narrative as where, okay, well, the black man doesn't want education or he doesn't want to achieve higher when really, it's not necessarily a problem of black men, but it's just male nature in general. And what I mean by it is, for the most part, men in America pursue college at lower rates than their women. It doesn't matter if we're talking Asian men, white men, Hispanic men, all men tend to pursue college at lower rates than their women. So it's not necessarily a problem of black men. It's a problem of men in general. Mm. That's interesting. Now that, that I didn't know, but it's, is is what what the reason why I really appreciate that is because part of a, a recent conversation I did have at home, my husband works in trades. You know, I I have three degrees. He doesn't have a degree at all. I mean, he he has some college, but he's doing very well in his career, um, and he works in the oil and gas industry. And so he was saying how a lot of men pursue careers because it's kind of male oriented, at least in theory. Um, but, you know, he was saying that if a lot of women pursue some of these careers, they could be making a ton of money. And, you know, but women want to sit down sometimes at the desk. They want to wear a suit. They want to wear, you know, and, and brothers in general are looking to protect and provide. And so do you think that that because that, that, that's kind of my concern, too, is that I think that a lot of information is just not provided out there for people, though. So, you know, if if individuals are looking at a way to not have to beg for a job every other year, if they go into trades, if they go into training programs that do not take four or five, six years to complete, but maybe sometimes two at the most, then maybe we'll see a difference in our economic situation. 
will always tell people the memes. You know, the memes should always be looked at as, you know, varying depending on your situation. What I mean by it is if college can actually earn you the amount of the amount of money you need to be, you know, an adequate protector and provider, then by all means. However, if college, the market, the degree itself and the career path is shown, you know, to not make you adequate rates of money. I always say don't pursue it. At the end of the day, yeah, you have a degree, but now you have a family and a woman that you can't feed. And at the end of the day, what most black men don't want to admit is that a woman is going to go for the man with the money before the man with the accreditation. So instead of pursuing college, men are more so looking towards the fields that actually pay off, trades, construction, so on and so forth. Whereas women actually have the luxury, black women specifically, to pursue a degree, even if that degree might not pay off well, simply because they have a safety net in the form of a black male provider who will be there to pick up the slack, basically. Mm. That's true, though. That's very true. That's very true. So just in general, what what are some of the projects that you're working on right now with your research? I mean, this was a heavy hitter right here, you know, and I and I've noticed that you are you are working on something else. What does that look like for you moving forward? Well, I do have another book I'm working on right now. I'm actually working on Volume 2, Fate of the Black Family, Volume 2. And in between that, I am also working on a uh, a project about reform for the black church, just more so how to use tax more efficiently, how to use ties more efficiently, uh, how to use the congregation and the collectivism more efficiently. It's more so, you know, incentivizing the black church to move as a black entity instead of a Christian entity. Mm. In general, what has been the response? Have you received any verbal feedback from members of the church, the clergy, and, and anybody in your community who have, you know, had anything positive, negative, anything to say about your work that you're doing so far? Are they w- willing to work with you? Oh, yeah. I've actually met a few people willing to work with me in the church, and the majority of the people who I have asked in the church, they're actually on board. They're happy with the plan. They they do feel it's needed, but they haven't wanted to actually step up to the institution of black Christianity and say anything. They were more so looking for someone to spark the initial flame. So that's more so what the plan served as. Okay. So I know I kind of touched on this a little bit, though, but I'm I'm still intrigued on how you get to the point when you're able to not only, like I said, I think I mentioned this before, but think of some of these things, but really put it on paper. When, when, did, it, when did this process start for you? It actually started for me because I'm 21 now. I'll be turning 22 uh, January 5th. But it started when I was 19. I had the ideas floating in my head, you know, I want to say since I was about 15, I decided to actually, you know, take to social media, Instagram mainly and you know, write those ideas down just to more so get them out into the public. But once I actually had those ideas out into the public, I decided, well, I might as well put this into a book and, you know, get into the community so that someone can benefit from this information. So I want to say the ideas were there probably from about age 15 to 16, really when, especially as a young black man, you start to look at the world around you and form your own perceptions. Uh, But it took form more so at age 19. Do you think that there was a reason why you were given this gift compared to somebody else out there? Because I mean, I I know from your book that you were 21 because you said that I wasn't going to say that because I mean, the work that you have in here (laughs) is the 
the the mind frame of someone who's been on this earth 75 80 years to be honest with you because it takes a lifetime sometimes to under to scratch the surface that you you know really addressed here so i i'm still amazed at that but i know that we have uh some very strong young soldiers out there and you're one of them why do you think that this gift was given to you i believe it was given to me more so because even before i started to form my per my perspectives on these things i always had more of a pragmatic approach to life i always view things from an objective standpoint and i believe that's one of the greatest strengths not only that I can adopt as a person, but the black community as a whole, because we have a tendency, especially raised under matriarchy, to react to every situation, especially situations of vital importance from an emotional standpoint. And what that does is not only does it take you away from your center, but you can't interpret information correctly. You can't interpret environment correctly. And you can't actually come up with a valid solution if you're too rooted in emotion to basically take what you need and get rid of what you don't. Wow. Well, I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm just amazed at, you know, what you've done, the work that you're doing. I mean, it's, it's been a conversation starting in my home. I know we've had conversations about it. You know, uh, my husband follows me on Instagram. And recently when I did the post, and I think I was like reading chapter 17, and he was like, oh, this is how far you got so far. And I was like, don't worry about my post. I'm moving around a little bit. So, you know, you, you, are, you are definitely, the work that you're doing is very um, impactful, you know, and it's profound. And so I, I can't wait to see what the future holds for you because I don't know what you envision, but, you know, I, I can see you on large platforms because and I'm not sure if that's what you want to do, but I, I can see it happening um, because this information in this book is very real. It's very important. It's very true. Um, I love the, the, um, the fact that you're so unapologetic about it. You know, you, you're not, you're, you're not afraid to, to put out there what's real. You jump right in it. See, I'm trying to spoon feed people. You just went, you died right in. And so I can really appreciate that. You know, I mean, we need brothers like that. And, I'm, and I always love talking to black men. A lot of, well, I've had a lot of women on this show. Um, and I think it's because I just know a lot of black women who are doing great things. But I always love having a brother on the show. And so, you know, your, your presence here is very important um, for this movement, everything that we're trying to do in terms of building our families. And I, and I really appreciate the fact that you have a concern about the black family. A lot of folks your age really don't care about that right now. They, they worry about different things. So, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's amazing. And so, you know, you, you are a part of um, this seed that's going to really just kind of uh, spark a change. You know, you're, you're definitely going to serve as a catalyst of change. And so I know you already have. I'm inspired. I really appreciate your work. Um, I'm not done with the book. I still have some stuff, you know, I might have to bring you back on in a few months so we can go back and dissect a little bit more because I'm still working through it, you know? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, so when do you think that part two was going to drop? Well, right now, I have, I have come a long way in the book, but, you know, I'm not really sure at this point because this one is going to be 800 pages, but hopefully within the next few months. Okay. All right. So, I mean, now I'm trying to throw stuff on you. Now, I, you can open up a school. I, I'll move wherever you and enroll my child because I think you have the capability of doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually do want to... <laughs> I would like to open up a few institutions and, you know, run for political office once I do, you know, become of legal age to do so. 
That's dope. That's going to be so dope. Yeah, I see it. I see it. And I, and I know that, you know, God didn't give you this gift for no reason. So I'm super happy to have you on here. Now, one of the things I want to do is offer our audience an opportunity to, um, to win this book for free. And so, you know, when you get it, guys, you make sure that you look through it, you feel it, you touch it, you skim through, and then you pick it up you know, and, and you, you, you kind of put your finger on the chapter that resonates with you because it's a lot of information in here. Um, you're going to do a lot of head nodding. You're going to do a lot of amening. It's going to be a few times you're like, really? Oh, wow. Especially if you haven't, you haven't really thought about it, you know, a certain topic outside of your comfort zone. You know, um, DeVario's really touching on some things that I think that a lot of people either don't want to talk about. A lot of people do understand, but, you know, they don't really know where their voice is and, also, you know, within the subject. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great book. It's a great read. Um, I'm, I'm excited about it because it's one of those things where I'm holding it now, but my grandchildren may have it one day, you know, and that's, that's the way I look at it as well. And so this is information that can be passed down to our generations. Yeah. So how can people reach you? How can they follow you? Well, you can follow me on my Instagram at triple underscore enlightenment, or you can just search the name Devario the Great, all one word. And you can email me at Devario the Great at gmail.com. Okay, great. So in general, how would you like to close out this show? Did you want to offer any words of encouragement, any advice, anything you want to say? The floor is yours. Well, I'd just like to send out the message that as a, as a community, at the end of the day, we need to put more emphasis not only on black men, but black boys as well. Because if you turn the corner, you know, if you look down the street, pretty much anywhere you go, there's a Black Women's Empowerment Expo and a scholarship program for black women everywhere you look. But we have no such services for our young black boys and men. And we wonder why our black boys and men go out into the world without any real resourcing. A lot of it is because we don't give them that resource at the pivotal moments in their life where they actually need it. Our young black girls pretty much have everything they need to start college, start a business, whether or not it's funding, tutoring, uh, actual programs that will give them, you know, necessarily necessary scholarships. But black boys pretty much don't have anything. We have to figure it out for ourselves from pretty much the age of about 16 up yeah okay well you know if there's anything that you have coming up in the future that i could be of service to and help please call on me because again i i'm a fan of your work i do believe in what you're doing i think that you need to continue to be supported um and 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 if you need anything just let me know i'm here because uh i i do believe in your work so if i can if i can make a donation or, or come through <laughs> and bring some resources, please call on me. I just want you to know that. Thank you. I appreciate you. No problem. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I definitely appreciate our guest, Devario the Great, today. Please go ahead and look for the post that I'm going to make where I'm going to offer a copy of his book for free, Confessions of Melanie Queen. We'll get that for you. And please read it. Please tune in. Please follow him. And please look out for part two, volume two. If you need to reach me, please email me at laurentmeeks at gmail.com and also follow the blog and confessionsofamelanatequeen.com. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Follow Dr. Meeks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dr. Lauren Meeks. If you have a confession, visit confessionsofamelanatequeen.com and share your story. Peace and love.